Well, good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? All right, it's great to have you guys with us today. And if you have your copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn to John chapter 4. Uh, we're in a series right now called The Jesus Diaries, called Volume 2, because we're in February. And we're actually walking through the Gospels chronologically leading up to Easter. Many of you may not know this, but the Gospels that were written weren't written in chronological order. Uh, sometimes things were out of place, and the, the memories of God's like, oh, they got things we're focused on this or focused on that. But we're taking each one, and we're going through all the way up to Easter. Well, I did some research recently on diet soda. Are there any diet soda drinkers? To be honest, diet soda drinkers in the house, like at all? Okay, cool. That's, that's fine. I used to drink Diet Mountain Dew. Like, I literally, that's all my parents had to drink. They bought, like, cases of it, and that's what I drank all day. Um, but one of the things I researched, and I'm always researching on health and things like that, was the effect of diet sodas. And diet sodas actually do something to you that you probably wouldn't think they would do. They're actually, uh, you know, unhealthier than regular sodas. You're like, well, how could that happen? Here's what's ha- ha- what happens. The, the fake sugar in them sends a signal to your brain that says, here comes sugar, and then your body starts producing insulin to get ready for the sugar. And guess what never happens? The sugar never happens, but your body's producing insulin, which actually stores all that as fat, right? And I didn't know any of this stuff growing up. And so at least with a regular soda, you do get the sugar coming that said the, that it's coming. So here's what happens to you, though. Because it fools your, 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 your brain is fooled by it, it also leaves you hungry. And you're hung, more hungry than you would have been if you wouldn't have drank a diet soda. They don't tell you that on the label, do they? Well, I didn't come to talk to you about diet sodas this morning. I didn't come to shame those who drink them because if you like them, you do you, boo. But here's what I've come to talk about is that there's a diet soda effect so many times in our souls and in our lives. And as Jesus meets this woman in John 4, as you may know her, the woman at the well, there's this diet soda effect that she had in relationships that left her hungrier than before. Now, now I I love John 4 because it, it comes right after John 3, right? In John 3, Nicodemus talks to Jesus. He's a well known Jewish leader. And he's talking about salvation and things like that. And then John follows up with this unnamed woman at the well. And you can almost imagine this happening. Think about it. John's an old man. He's the last living apostle. Matthew, Mark, and Luke had written their gospels. And those gospels were circulating and and, and going around with believers. And John, as an old man, sits down with, with the scribe who was, you know, John was dictating. He was writing. He was saying, hey, you won't believe what happened after Nicodemus. He's like, what? He's like, Jesus carried us through Samaria. The scribe's like, no, because they were Jews. He, he took y'all through, oh, yeah, yeah you, you've got to hear the story. And John begins to tell him what happened. He says, oh, yeah. So he goes to Samaria, and he's walking up to this well, and he tells us, he says, go and buy some food and come back. And then later on, Jesus tells us everything that happens. We see him with this woman, and, and we see these people coming up to, you know, come to talk about Messiah. He says, it was crazy. But here's a backdrop you've got to understand about this. Because, see, when you look at Samaria, it may not mean a lot to you, but to Jews, it was the racial divide. It was a serious point of contention. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Not just disdain, but hate, because the Samaritans uh, were actually breeded with the Assyrians. They didn't keep to the Jewish line, so Jews looked down on them. Oh, you're not fully Jewish. You're not, hey, you know, you're, you don't really, you're not really accepted by God. 
And so Samaritans had their own Pentateuch, their first five books of the Bible that they had. And they believe you worshiped on one mountain, and Jews believe you were. And so it was just a religious, it was a racist mess. It was a mess. And Jesus chooses to go through Samaria, which would have been totally out of line for a Jewish rabbi in the first century. And don't you see what happens here in John chapter 4? It says he had to go through Samaria on the way, and eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, which that name means the town of drunks, <laughs> near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, being tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Just pause for a second. I want you to think about something. Jesus was 100% God, and he was 100% man. He was not Superman, right? He was not a superhero that had just, just these superhuman abilities and he could withstand. He was tired and he was thirsty. And so I want you to understand this before we keep going. I want to interject this. You have a Savior that understands what you're going through. If you're like, Jesus, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm working long hours. I'm trying to keep this thing together. Jesus can look at you and say, I know how you feel. I know what it feels like to be tired. I've been there too. And he sits at the right hand of God, the scriptures say, and he intercedes for you. Isn't that beautiful? That we have a God who can identify what we're going through. It says he sat there wearily, tired. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. And then watch this. The woman was surprised, for Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. And think about this. A Jewish rabbi, that's what Jesus was in the first century, would have been considered unclean to go into the temple to worship, the Jewish temple, because of him interacting with a Samaritan woman. So he's now breaking religious code and religious law, and she's just as surprised as anybody else would have been. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And then Jesus goes on to say that I have water that you don't know of. And that piques her interest. She's like, oh, living water I don't know about. You're thinking spiritual stuff. And that word living meant moving water. And here's what the Samaritan woman thought. Most scholars believe this. She thought this guy knows about a well somewhere else. There's an underground stream that's secret that nobody knows about. And I can go and draw from there. Because she didn't want to go to Jacob's well when the rest of the women were around because of what they're going to talk about next. Jesus goes into her relationships. He says, why don't you uh, call your husband? She's like, ah, well, let's just pause. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not quite married right now. We, we, we're just kind of test driving it, right? Yeah, they, they, they were just in the first century doing that, which was totally outrageous to that society. He said, matter of fact, you've had five husbands. Now, in our society, we're like, yeah, so watch. He's had five. A lot of our celebrities we follow has had five or six, right? But in today's time, here's what that was like. It was like having a hundred marriages that failed. Now, that would be a little strange in our day, right? A hundred? Like, what is up with you? Why a hundred? And when Jesus says, 
why don't you call your husband? He talks about the five. She realizes at that point, this thing's turned to something spiritual. And Jesus speaks to her longing, the issues she's had in her life. And as you go through, we, we read the story, and we'll finish it out in a little bit. You realize something, and she realizes something about the well. And if you have your notes handy, write this down, because this is today's big idea. Here's what she found out about that well. The well isn't about water. She came for water. Jesus even wanted some water. But the true intention of that wasn't about water. She had a longing. She had issues in her life. And Jesus met her there. Had nothing to do about the water she needed. Matter of fact, I know that because she left her water pot and went to the city to tell everybody about Jesus. If it was all just about water, she'd have carried her water pot with her to the house, right? I mean, she'd have been, she'd have been a little more efficient in her travels. That's what I'd have been thinking of. And I want you to know this about you today. The well isn't about water. Now, here's what I mean about that. We have these physical desires and these soul desires of our life. We have these things that we thirst for, that we want in life. And all the physical manifestation of that is, all that really is, is the deep longing of our soul. Her broken relationships were just a revelation of the thing in her soul that was broken. And Jesus came to meet her there and to, and to meet that longing of the soul. And can I tell you today, every one of us in here, we have a longing of our soul that Jesus wants to speak to. And Jesus wants to deal with in our life. And for the woman, here's what was so important for her. Here's what the well meant for her, and you can write this down. The well was a place where this woman's shame was met with a solution. And think about this for a second now. She was shacking up with a guy, and in that day, you could have been killed for that under Jewish law, stoned to death. And Jesus goes and meets her there. And gave her a solution for a problem. See, here's the thing about shame. You're probably more upset and shameful about your sin than Jesus is. You're wagging your head saying, oh, Jesus isn't doing anything to do with me. Oh, I'm just terrible. I'm just this and that. And Jesus saying, oh, just give me a shot. See, I'll never forget when I first got saved, I was talking to this guy. We'd go skateboard around the town in the town we lived in. And we'd go, you know, I'd just go walk up and just witness to people and share the gospel with them and, um, and things like that. I remember talking to this one guy about Jesus. He says, you have no idea what I've done. And he shared the things that he had done and just out of prison and, and all the things. And it was, you know, going through this and going through that. And I said, man, do you know what Jesus did? He said, what? What did he get locked up for? I said, no, 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 it's not that. I said, you're focused way too much on what you've done, and you're not focused on what Jesus has done. And I went on to share the gospel with him about the cross and about the finished work, and about being made right with God only through the finished work of the, of the cross, and I shared the gospel with him, and he didn't receive Christ that night. So, <laughs> so just be comforted if you share the gospel down either. But I was able to share with him about that because here's what he was focused on. He was focused on what he had done. And many of us can't get past our past. And that's what keeps us paralyzed in the life that we're in. And you're probably more upset about something in your life and less forgiving to yourself than even Jesus is. And can I tell you, I don't know what you're facing today, 
but he wants to forgive you and he wants to heal you and he wants to use you in your life just like that Samaritan woman. But here's the problem. If we miss this and if we don't have the well in our lives, here's what's going to happen. Here's the fallout. We'll keep being thirsty for all the wrong things in life. Have you ever met someone, or maybe this is even your story? I know it's been mine many times. They just keep going back to the wrong wells of life. You're like, man, why do you keep going back to that? Why are you hung up on that? And they're thirsty. They're longing for something in their life. And they keep going back to these wells. Think about it in our life. The well of approval. Pleasing people, right? Are there any people pleasers in the house? Uh, you raised your hand because you wanted to make sure you pleased me because I asked you. You didn't want me to be upset with you, all right? <laughs> That's what we do. We, we think if we can keep people happy and we can please people and everybody's just happy around us, then, then that's what's going to feed our soul. And if you wanted to keep people happy, go sell ice cream. You're not going to keep people happy and please people. Many of us in our life, we want control in our life. And so we have the well of control. If we can just control outcomes and control people and control this and control that, control our kids, then, then, then we'll feel fulfilled. And what happens is you're left emptier than before and you want to keep controlling. And, and control becomes where, where then people around you become resentful and you can't control everything. Maybe for you it is in relationships like the woman at the well. Maybe it's just like you keep going from relationship to relationship hoping that one of these will fill you. And you're wondering why you're always left unfulfilled in relationships. There could be an addiction in your life. You keep going back to the well of addiction, hoping that eventually the thirst will be quenched. And you're wondering, why isn't this thirst quenched? See, the problem is if we don't have Jesus' well in our life, we'll always remain thirsty. When I talk to young pastors and leaders, I, I talk to them about this all the time. I said, man, when I first started preaching, I preached to impress people. I just preach to impact now. Whether people like it or not, I show up to do one thing and challenge you to maturity and get closer to Jesus. And it doesn't matter. It, 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 to me, I'm, and it, I'm not being mean or rude, but to me it doesn't matter about the applause of people. It doesn't. It, it matters about me impacting people. But there were many Sundays that my whole life was a built around approval of people and achievement. And I kept going back to that well. And you know what happened? I kept getting more frustrated and more frustrated and angrier and angrier because it never filled me. And can I tell you what fills me? It's Jesus as well. So here's what we're going to do. What do you do if you're having those issues? If you keep going back to the wrong wells of life and you don't have, you need to allow Jesus to let you draw from his well. See, she came to Jacob's well because she was thirsty physically. But Jesus said, I have a well. And if you'll drink from this well, you'll never thirst again. And she was thinking, man, that, I got to find, tell me where this well is at. You mean I can draw one time and I'm good? He said, no, 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 you've missed the whole point. That if you draw from this well, I'm going to fix the thirst that keeps pushing you from relationship to relationship to relationship, from man to man to man. I love what one preacher said. He said she had six men in her life, and the seventh man she met was Jesus, and seven is the number of perfection, right? <laughs> but you've got to let Jesus allow you, just, just draw from his well. 
sit at his feet. Sit at his feet broken. Talk to him about the issue that you have and let him meet you with that. See, what happens is when you let Jesus, you know, uh, you draw from his will, you don't start to try to get people's approval. You know you've got God's approval because of Christ. And if you've got God's approval, it doesn't really matter what other people think about you. And you're not obsessed about what other people think. When you, when you draw from Jesus' will, you don't need to control people because you serve the God who's in control. And you can be in charge of something, and God gives you stewardship to have charge over something, but you realize you are not in control of anything. When you draw from Jesus' well, addictions just aren't fun anymore because Jesus is so much better, and his presence in your life is so much better. When you draw from Jesus' well, listen to this, the relationships, people compliment you, but they don't complete you. I'm going to say that one more time. You just missed it. This is the number one thing I'm going to tell you about because some of you are miserable in your marriage because you want somebody to complete you. And another person will never complete you, and they will never fill you. It's 100% each person giving into something. 100%. And they can compliment you, but only Jesus can actually complete you and fill that longing in your heart. And my, my, my heart for you is this. When you leave here this week, I always think about what's the one thing I want everybody to do. I want you to draw from Jesus well. I want you to maybe stop, you know, always listening like I do, Classic Rock 96.5. I made a change at the beginning of the year because I realized I love Classic Rock 96.5. I know y'all hating on me, but me and Billy D are boys. You know, he, we, we follow us on Instagram. I mean, you know, my son knows 96.5. He's like, yeah, 96.5. But I said, you know what? I need to fill my life with more worship. I'm going to be honest with you. I said, I need to get up earlier and actually draw from Jesus' will and have the scriptures read me. I need to be more full of the presence of God in my life. And I'm telling you, when you make that shift, things just, the things you struggle with just begin to, to fall off. And you have more peace and more contentment. And that's what happened to that woman. Jesus did something for her that no one else could do. And so how do we do it? There's, there's, there's three types of wells, I think, that, that we can meet. And what is Jesus' well? It's this. Number one, it's the well of grace. Think about this, what grace is. We often think we, de we, we deserve grace or work for it. If you think grace and mercy were given to you because there's something you've done and something God sees in you, then you've missed it. Grace and mercy are that you are a rotten, despicable sinner. We are not good people getting better, as Oprah Winfrey tells us. I'm serious. That's what celebrities tell us. Oh, you're good people. We're all good inside. No, we're not. The number one rule of law is never trust yourself, right? Our hearts are desperately wicked, and we had nothing to offer God. We were his enemy, and God said, I want you, enemy. You hate me, you rail against me, you, you do everything against me, but I love you so much. You crucified my son, but I want you. That's beautiful. That's the will of grace, and it just doesn't happen at salvation. But our God's a merciful God who gives grace to us. Grace is you get something you don't even deserve. You didn't deserve it. I told you before, I teach my son that when I say, son, I'm going to extend grace to you when it comes to him back talking or doing this, and I actually give him a privilege. He's like, what? I said, this is grace. 
then he wants grace all the time, right? <laughs> Mercy is you don't get what you do deserve. And this woman, according to Jewish law, deserved death. And Jesus knew that the disciples would have thought this way, and he had to send them off to go buy some food. See, many of us are still at where the disciples were at. We're still immature. People who have wronged you, they deserve death. Off with their heads. And God's saying, you've never tasted grace, because once you taste grace and mercy, you start giving it out to everybody that you meet. And understand, that's what the well is. It's a place of grace, and it's a place of mercy. And when you draw from his well, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. You start dishing it out. She was shown mercy. She didn't ask for Jesus to show up there, did she? She didn't go to one of his you know, miracle crusades. <laughs> she was hiding from people. She was ashamed, and Jesus met her there. I don't know what, what you're hiding from or what you're ashamed about, but Jesus will meet you right there. That's the well of grace. The second well is the well of healing. Remember that, that the physical things in our life are all indicative of soul problems. Anger is not a problem. It's just indicative of a soul problem. Broken relationships are just a, a fruit of the root of a soul problem. And what Jesus wants to do in our life is he wants to heal us in the broken places of our life. One of the things I've worked with our staff on beginning of the year, we take the first quarter, I tell you always, the first quarter work on emotional health and healing. And I've made them trace their neurological pathways back. What does that mean? Trace it back to your, one of your first memories of hurt, abandonment, abuse, or disappointment. Because everything in your life right now is going back to that. You're still that five-year-old child. You're still that eight-year-old child that got hit, that got beaten, that got abused. And you're still reacting from that. And what Jesus wants to do at the well of, of grace is he wants to bring healing to your life. Where you can remember what happened, you can look at it, but you're not making everybody else around you pay now for it. See, you have a wounds in your life, and those wounds hurt, right? Like you have an open wound, it hurts. But when Jesus heals you, you have a scar. And what a scar is, a scar is like, hey, I can show you where I got hurt. I can tell you what happened. I can tell you a story, but guess what? It doesn't hurt anymore because I've had healing. And right now what you're facing in your life is you need deep healing of the soul. And Jesus is the one who wants to do that for you. And when he does that, here's what the well does last and finally. It becomes the well of mission. This woman had something happen to her so deep in that conversation, and we don't know how long the conversation went. Sometimes these conversations are abbreviated. You know that, right? Like in, in John 3, you know, John's telling the story of Nicodemus. It says, Jesus and him talked all night. We only got a paragraph of it. John 17 says, Jesus prayed all night. We only got one paragraph. I don't know how long they talked. I don't know what the expressions were there, but it impacted this woman so deeply that she believed upon a Jewish rabbi who they hated the Jews. And then here's what she does. She runs to her city of Samaria. And she says, see, come, come see this man has told me everything I've ever done. That's what I said. I don't think the conversation was just limited to that. Maybe that's all John and Jesus and the disciples talked about afterwards. But here's what happened to her. The well became a place of mission. 
where she went to the people in her life and they saw something so different. She was ashamed to be around them. She was full of gossips and rumors and she slept around with people and she was all, and, 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 she could, and then they believe her. They're like, well, come. And then Jesus, I love the disciples get back and Jesus says, hey, hey look, 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 the harvest fields are ripe. They're ripe for harvest. And, and I believe at that point, I love what Dr. Town said from Liberty University when I was uh, there with him. He said, the, the white turbans on their head running and, and the cloths the women had on. He said, I believe Jesus said the fields are white for harvest and looked and pointed because he saw all the people coming with their head coverings on and the disciples looked. And Jesus said, that's our harvest. And they came and Jesus ministered to them. But here's something even more significant that happened when it became a place of mission. See, when, when, when you find grace from God and mercy and you meet that and you find healing, your life becomes a mission. In Acts chapter 8, one of the apostles named Philip goes to Samaria and it says that he did miracles there. And he says that a great revival and joy broke out in that city. Do you know why that happened? because of the woman at the well. We don't even know her name because she found healing. She found grace. She drank from Jesus' well and she had to tell everybody about it. See, the, the first church we ever planted in Florida was called the well. When I was in Florida, they thought it was called the well, like, like the, the water, like the well. You're a well, like a blue well. Because <laughs> I'm from the south, right? They're all from the north. I'll never forget everything we did in that ministry was based on John chapter 4. Our whole ministry identity was based in that because of the power of this passage. And as you leave this week and you go upon your daily routine, I want you to pause every day and say, Jesus, I want the water that will help me never thirst again. As I worship you, as I open the Holy Scriptures and I read for them, let me draw from your well. And friends, I'm, I'm telling you, it will change your life. And you have no clue how God will use you. Just like that woman had no idea that she would spark a revival in a city that no one would have ever thought would have been a place of revival. If that may be your family, that may be your jobs, or they're your friends you thought you would never reach. But this week, draw from His will. Let's pray. Father. We ask this morning that you would help us to draw from your well. God, all of us are broken in here. All of us have issues. All of us have things that we're struggling with deeply. We have the fruit of brokenness in our life. But you're the God who makes us whole again through the cross, through grace. So today, Lord, we appeal to the mercies of heaven. And we pray that as we draw from your will, you would bring healing to us in the deep places of our soul, from the things that have hurt us the, the, the worst in our lives. And from that, you would take these broken pieces, these broken lives, and use us to go out to be trophy, trophies of your grace to a world that desperately needs the hope of the gospel. I pray that for every person in here and those who are watching online today. And God, I thank you that you'll do that in our life and as we're praying today church in this mode of prayer and even for everybody watching online i want you just to pause for one moment because some of you have come in here today 
And some of you are watching today and you've never surrendered your life to Christ. Or maybe you did and you walked away from your faith. You turned your back on it. And today, you've come to the well. And Jesus wants to meet you right where you are. He wants to save you. He wants to redeem you. And this is your moment, right where you're at. If you know that's you, your heart's probably beating fast. Your hands are probably sweaty. You know this is you. Today is your day. I want you to pray this prayer, make this confession of faith after me. You say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit I can't save myself. I admit I need a Savior. So today, I believe that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again on the third day. Today, I make Jesus my Lord. I turn from my sins. I turn from my old life. And I receive full forgiveness of sins. God, thank you. Now help me to live out this grace to everyone that I meet. And it's in Jesus' good name that we pray. Amen.